Are you looking for the raw truth about the U.S. healthcare system? Medical practice manager, owner, entrepreneur, and author James Egidio, with 23 plus years in the medical field, educates and informs his listeners about the changes, trends, and truth about the United States healthcare system. James interviews medical experts in various fields of the healthcare industry doctors, nurses, medical specialists, scientists, and professors that discuss the state of the U.S. healthcare system today, tomorrow, and in the future. Hi, I'm James Egidio, your host of the Medical Truth Podcast, the podcast that tells the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth about the American healthcare system. My guest knows what it's like to fight the good fight ever since he was a child. He graduated from Geisel School of Medicine at Dartmouth in 1985 and went on to do a residency in pediatrics. He is the father of nine children and is quoted as saying, the time has come to take our health and that of our children into our own hands. Gone are the days when you could blindly follow your doctor's recommendations or count on your health plan or some public health or government agency to put your interests first. We owe it to ourselves and our children to remain constantly educated and informed to make the best decisions for ourselves and our families. He is the author of several books and his latest is titled The Vaccine-Friendly Plan, where it has a 4.9 out of five-star rating and over 3,322 reviews, which translates to a 92% five-star rating on Amazon. He's leading the charge for medical freedom and informed consent with 1.5 million YouTube subscribers, and he is perhaps the most loved pediatrician on the planet. It is my pleasure and honor and a blessing to have as a guest on the Medical Truth Podcast, Dr. Paul Thomas. Hi, Dr. Thomas. Hi, James. Thanks for having me on your show. I love the title of your show and what it's all about, Medical Truth. So many people are not aware of how pervasive the propaganda and false messaging is that's out there. Yeah. It's true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell the listeners and viewers of the Medical Truth podcast a little bit about your backstory, because I had mentioned at the opening that you've been fighting the good fight since you're a child. Yes. So I was blessed to have been born into a family. My parents became missionaries to what was then Rhodesia, what's now Zimbabwe, taking me there when I was four years old. I grew up in the church. United Methodist Church was the largest Christian organization in Rhodesia. In fact, the first African president, once they gained independent, was Bishop Muzareva, who is the bishop of the United Methodist Church and a family friend. He was in our home all the time. So as a child, I grew up, just as here in the United States, folks my age were young children during the civil rights movements, right? JFK, Martin Luther King, and all that going on here. There were similar battles for freedom, if you will, happening in Southern Africa. And I was very engaged. I was raised to push back when you see something wrong and not to just cower to authority. And not only did that, my parents showed me that in real life, in their way of living, but I got to live that myself. I refused to raise the British flag when that was my role as the head boy in in elementary school. I was arrested for handing revolutionary literature at a train station. I've had my run-ins where I was trying to push the truth in a system where the truth was not. And so I had a great background that really prepared me for what was to come. 
I'll say, absolutely. And so let's fast forward to today and what your cause is with your book. I had mentioned the vaccine-friendly plan and your work and where you're at today. Sure. Let me fill in the gap between leaving Africa, going to college and medical school, Dartmouth, as you mentioned, and residency in pediatrics. And I came out of that 1988, I was completely done, a board-certified, board-eligible, board-certified pediatrician, and I was mainstream. I went to Dartmouth. I went to top residency programs in California, and I had, you know, fully been indoctrinated, and I didn't know it, right? So I was one of those typical pediatricians who would tell you, oh, the vaccines are completely safe. Risks are like one in a million, nothing to worry about. In 2004, 5, 6, and 7, each of those four years, I was part of a big pediatric group practice. I saw in my own patients a child who was completely normal at age 1 or 15 or 18 months with eye contact and language developing and otherwise in every way normal, regress into severe autism by age 2. And... I just couldn't do business as usual anymore. I'd already been doing a deep dive for about, oh, I started really researching this in around 2000, 2001. This possible link between vaccines and some of the chronic things we were seeing in kids. Take autism as an, it's just one thing. So I don't want to focus on just that. But right. we, the pediatricians, were supposed to be those most knowledgeable about childhood illness, childhood conditions. We had no answer for it. In fact, we didn't know what was causing it. We didn't know what to do about it. It was just like, oh, sorry, your child has autism, good luck. That just didn't sit right for me. And so the deeper you dive into trying to figure out what's going on with the health of our children in this country, uh, the more you realize there's probably something we're doing that's causing it. And so fast forward a little bit, I left my group practice and started a new practice in June of 2008. That was called Integrated Pediatrics. And basically it was because of all those chronic cases of severe autism that happened on my watch. And I'm going, I can't do business as usual. I'd become aware that the hepatitis B vaccine had way too much aluminum, for example. Toxic dose of aluminum for a newborn, it just didn't make any sense. My newborns were born to moms who did not have hepatitis B. You catch that infection from sex and drug use, sharing dirty needles. My babies certainly weren't doing those behaviors. So it, it literally made no sense. We were giving a toxic poisonous dose for no benefit. So that's how it started. In my practice, informed consent was basically the only rule. That is, parents get to decide what medical interventions are done, including what vaccines or none at all, if that was their wish. Because I was getting some patients, families who typically what it was, they had one, in, one child who was vaccine injured. They saw it for their own eyes. They go to their doctor and they say, we don't want to vaccinate our next kid. We have already got one injured child. The doctors would kick them out of their practice. They, it's crazy. That's still going on today, actually yeah. more so than ever. And so they would find me because I was going to honor whatever they wanted to do. So 2015, I had enough data. My practice had been open since 2008. I thought, why don't I look at my data? I did it showed some very concerning, almost no autism in the slightly vaccinated, which was what I ended up calling the vaccine-friendly plan, and absolutely no autism in the unvaccinated, and the usual rate of autism for the highly vaccinated, those following the CDC schedule. I tried to publish it. I couldn't, so I wrote the book, The Vaccine-Friendly Plan, 
And as my mom told my co-author when she met her, I wrote that book with Jennifer Margulis, who's a great author and investigative journalist. Uh, she says, oh, you put my son's head on a platter. It's clear that when you challenge the paradigm, when you poke at the CDC and suggest that it may not be the best way to go, they're going to come after you. And they did. So that brings us up to closer to the current day. Really, what ended up happening was after that book was published, the medical board in Oregon started coming after me. Uh, medical boards, for those of you who aren't familiar, who are listening, that's the licensing board in each state for the doctors who are practicing in that state. They have the power to take away your license or to put restrictions on your license if you're not, it's supposed to be, if you're a danger to the public. And right. traditionally, it would be doctors who are working impaired, you know, drugs or alcohol, or perhaps sexually abusing their patients under anesthesia. Those are the typical cases that would go in front of a board. And over the last decade, or even a little longer, we've seen a new trend with boards. They really are going after doctors who are not following the narrative and the primary narrative, which really became a big deal when COVID hit was vaccines are safe and effective. Don't challenge vaccines. And with the COVID situation, if you even spoke about natural remedies for COVID, that was many doctors around the country lost their license over that issue. We're talking oh, yeah. about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine or other natural approaches. So the medical board came at me with multiple trumped up charges. They weren't patient complaint based. Uh, and in January of 2019, I get a letter and I open it up and it's from the medical board and it says, uh, prove that the vaccine friendly plan is as safe as the CDC schedule. I was, I had to laugh because the CDC schedule has never been proven nor tested for safety. It's right. just assumed that this is what you do and they dare not look at possible adverse effects of the whole schedule itself, right? Individual vaccines are poorly tested without placebo. They're not very long-term trials and they don't look at all health outcomes. So we really have very little good information about vaccine safety. They challenged me to prove it. So somebody suggested to me, why don't you just do a quality assurance study? Look at your data. It's a brilliant idea. In medicine, if you're doing something different, if you're changing what you're doing, the ethical thing to do is to look at the effects of that change. The right. CDC should, each year when they change the schedule, they should study the effects of that change, and they don't. I hired an outside expert who is a pediatrician, neonatologist, informatics expert. This guy's a nerd. Mm -hmm. He's set up electronic medical record systems in, I think, 25 countries around the world. The guy's brilliant. He spent a week in my office just sitting on the computer pulling the data. I said, pull the data from every patient born into my practice, and let's look at all health outcomes and just see what we find. And he came out of that cubicle that first day and was like, Paul, can't believe it. The data just, I know I'm not supposed to look at it, but it just jumps out at you. Your unvaccinated patients just don't get sick. Now, I'd observed that I have a well waiting room and a sick waiting room. And unlike my old office where the room just jam-packed with sick kids, over time, my well room became jam-packed and my sick room was empty. So something <laughs> we were doing was changing the health of the population I was treating, taking care of. And we proved with that data, when I go around and speak, I will show the graphs. It's just vaccinated kids have more of just about everything we looked at. They've got more infections, ear infections, sinus infections, eye infections, lung infections. They have more allergies. They've got more eczema. They've got more 
other skin conditions as, and then they have more neurodevelopmental things, AD, developmental delays. And we showed some connection with autism. That one wasn't as strong because the numbers weren't as great. Uh, yeah. But across the board, massive increases in chronic health problems for those who are most vaccinated. Now, for your listeners, the Vaccine Friendly Plan is a good book. It's no longer the plan I would recommend today. And here's why. That data that I was just talking to you about, those vaccinated kids in my practice were basically vaccine-friendly plan vaccinated. I didn't have kids following the CDC schedule. Once you really give a parent the information, the pros and cons of each vaccine, and you go through them one by one, that hepatitis B one that I talked about, I think I have maybe one patient who wanted to do the hepatitis B vaccine. So none of my patients basically were following the CDC schedule. And so the Vaccine Friendly Plan is a great book for somebody who's really new to this topic and thinks they want to follow the CDC schedule because it's very science-based. It's balanced. It does, it's not anti-vax. It's not pro-vax. But I've got the data now, folks, that shows that the Vaccine Friendly Plan is itself too aggressive and doing less or doing none, you just have better outcomes. Now, yeah. full disclosure for your audience, that study that was published in the International Journal of Public Health was retracted. That was not a surprise. It was not retracted because of anything in the data being inaccurate. It was retracted because of a theory that everybody knows people who don't vaccinate don't seek health care. So, of course, you would find fewer chronic conditions because they're just not showing up. The data was looked at again, reanalyzed to answer that question. Blaylock, who's a pediatric neurologist, and Jacqueline Wheeler, my co-author, published another paper. It's still out there. It has not been retracted that proved actually our unvaxxed patients had a higher percentage of well-child visits that they were going to. And we proved the opposite. They're actually seeking health care more. They're very, these are good parents. They're not like just not showing up. And they found one other thing that's really important for parents to know. I'm often asked, we were following such and such a schedule and we don't want to get off the schedule or we're afraid to stop because then what does that do to my child's health? We studied that. This next, I say we, this was Jack Lyons, Wheeler, and Blaylock who published the subsequent paper, found that if you stop vaccinating at any time, your health outcomes are much better, twice as good actually, or you have half the chronic conditions of those who continue to vaccinate, even if it's on a slower schedule. Yeah, and that seems to be the case, too, a lot with these COVID booster shots as well. They're saying that the people that have two and three booster shots are the ones that are coming down with the COVID again, or they're getting a lot of the side effects. My question to you is, are you considered an anti-vaxxer or are you, what school of thought do you come from on vaccinations in general? When you need a prescription filled immediately, go to quickrxrefill.com for an online doctor consultation and prescription. Whether you left your prescription at home while traveling or in between doctors or just simply ran out of your medication, visit quickrxrefill.com now. Consult with a U.S. licensed physician online and within minutes, Get your prescription filled at your local pharmacy. It's that quick and it's that easy. Plus, not only is QuickRxRefill.com safe and secure, they're private and affordable with a 100% money-back guarantee. And they understand how important getting regular medication on time is to staying healthy, especially if you have a chronic condition. Visit quickrxrefill.com now to sign up and talk to a doctor within minutes. That's quick 
rxrefill.com. My question to you is, are you considered an anti-vaxxer or are you, what school of thought do you come from on vaccinations in general? So if we could have a safe and effective vaccine, in other words, it was properly tested for safety with an inert placebo, like saline, half the trial gets the vaccine, half gets a saltwater injection, and you look at all health outcomes over a long period of time, and if we found it to be safe and it actually prevented a serious or potentially serious infection, absolutely. I'd be all in on it. I am not anti-vax. I am, however, vaccine risk aware. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the more accurate term. Most people who get labeled anti-vax, they're using that term as sort of name-calling to put you in a box as if by being anti-vax, you're somehow unscientific or that you're an outlier. And actually, most people who the system, the establishment wants to call anti-vax are vaccine risk aware if their parents, which is where most of the volume of people who are, quote, anti-vax, are parents who followed their doctor's directions, they took the vaccines according to the CDC schedule, and they watched their child be damaged, right? So they experienced, their child experienced severe health consequences of the vaccine. Then my practice, because these parents were kicked out of other practices, they would find me, I would hear stories weekly for sure, sometimes more than one time a day, but several times a week. New parents coming into my practice tell me the story of they had a normal child, they got one vaccine or a series of vaccines, and they watched that child lose everything. They lost their language, their eye contact, and regress into severe autism. Most parents don't even know to make the connection that other chronic diseases that their child has, whether it be like we talked about allergy or asthma, other neurodevelopmental issues, they don't even know that those may be related to vaccines as well because we have never studied it that way. The vaxxed, unvaxxed studies are the critical studies that need to be done. Mine was the largest real-world study that I'm aware of that's ever been done. But there are other studies. They show the same thing, whether it's a survey study or a smaller study. They seem to always show the same thing. Unvaxxed are much healthier, have far fewer chronic disease. So when it comes to asking about being anti-vax, I'm anti-harm. I don't want to harm children. And it is clear now that the vaccines are harming. So you really have to weigh each one individually rather than just carte blanche. I accept the CDC schedule. Now, the CDC schedule is a disaster. And that's clear. I have the data. And I'm not alone. There are lots of studies showing this. So let's just say, for example... The MMR, measles, mumps, rubella, that vaccine works. It really does, especially for measles and rubella. It's very effective. We don't have very much rubella or measles since that vaccine was widely taken. Same with chickenpox. I don't like the vaccine. We didn't really need it, but it works. We don't have much chickenpox around because that vaccine works. Well, if they were completely safe, I'd be all in. The problem is the safety of those vaccines is unclear it appears there are risks. And in the case of the AMMR, they might be fairly substantial. I just have heard way too many stories of my child got the MMR and regressed in front of my eyes. Sometimes within hours or days, they lost their kid, lost eye contact, regressed into severe autism. One time that's a coincidence when it happens hundreds 
or thousands or tens of thousands or maybe even millions if you look at the whole world, it's not a coincidence. And we have the mechanisms by which harm is being caused by vaccines. There's direct toxicity, there's immune activation, autoimmunity, lots of mechanisms well delineated to explain what's going on. Dr. Thomas, what specifically makes these vaccines dangerous that they are, and why aren't there closer measures for using control groups and measuring and and really looking into the dangers of these vaccines? What's in these vaccines that create these issues? Great question. Prior to 2000, half or more than half of the vaccines had a very high dose of mercury, something called thimerosal. And it's highly toxic to neurodevelopment, to the immune system, and hundreds of studies showing problems with mercury poisoning, right? It's back to chimney sweeps being called the mad hatter because they would go crazy with their exposure to mercury in their job of sweeping chimneys back in the 1800s. So that's one known toxin. They got most of the mercury out of the vaccines in 2000, but they didn't touch the other big one, and that's aluminum. So over half the vaccines have a very high dose of aluminum. Aluminum has no function in the body. It's pure toxin. It's not a part of any metabolic biochemical pathway. It's Mm -hmm. just a toxin. So why are we putting it in the vaccines, you might ask? It's an adjuvant, which means it's put in there intentionally to stimulate the immune system, like really cause your immune system to overreact. And therefore, your immune system overreacts to the antigen. If we're looking at, say, hepatitis B, that has way too much aluminum, 250 micrograms. Listeners, if you're about to have a baby... Don't get any vaccines while you're pregnant. I'm not giving medical advice. This is just information. Check it out with a trusted healthcare provider. But the womb is supposed to be a sacred place. And then when your baby's born, unless you, the birth mother, has active hepatitis B, you're a carrier, your baby has zero risk for hep B. So don't give that because it has 250 micrograms of aluminum. The FDA put out a document that is still available. It's tough to find it, but it's out. They never retracted it, stating you should not exceed three to five micrograms per kilogram per day of aluminum, whether it's injected or given it as part of nutrition in the vein. Well, a baby weighs 10 pounds, let's call it five kilos even. Five times five is 25. That is the absolute max aluminum or you're into toxicity. You're injecting 250. Wow. That's what happens to every baby born in America. So those are the two biggies, but there are many other products in these vaccines that do mischief. Formaldehyde is in a lot of these vaccines. Why on earth would you put formaldehyde in a vaccine? That product is extremely sticky as far as biochemically. If you think of it like just claws, it just grabs onto things. It can grab onto your cells, and then your immune system comes and does not like formaldehyde. It's going, we got to get you out of here. Then now you're reacting against your own tissue, autoimmunity, and there are, there's a whole lot of mischief with various vaccines, right? Uh, yeah. Aborted fetal cell lines are used in the production of many vaccines, and that can cause, again, this molecular mimicry and confusion of your immune system between self and foreign, and you get autoimmune reactions. Right. So, right. yeah, one can go to the – for any vaccine, you can look up the package insert if you're a parent and you're just curious. Before you go into your visit, find out what vaccines they're going to be telling you to do and pull those package inserts. 
and you'll probably be horrified at what's in the vaccines. <clears throat> we take yeah. more care about what we put into our muffins that we're feeding our children, and we read labels more carefully about food than we do what's actually being injected. And there's something yeah. especially damaging that happens with injection. You are bypassing the gut, right? When we eat food, our intestinal lining and immune system is designed to keep out the toxins, pull in the nutrients. doesn't do it perfectly, but it's darn good. Aluminum yeah. that you drink in baby formula, which is actually has way too much aluminum, most of it doesn't get into the body. I think it's 0.3% gets into the body. When you inject it, it's 100%. What are a lot of the uh, chronic medical conditions that you see in pediatric patients that have been vaccinated? Because I mean, I know you did mention a couple, but what are some yeah. of the, let's say, ongoing chronic medical conditions that you would typically find in a vaccinated or fully vaccinated pediatric patient? Yeah, and rarely find in the unvaxxed. So skin disorders, eczema is super common, allergic rhinitis, any kind of allergy. It's anywhere up to 30 times more prevalent. And 30 times is 3,000%, I believe. It's mm -hmm. just, it's amazing. Neurodevelopmental issues, ADD. I found no ADD or ADHD in my unvaxxed population. A huge explosion in the vaccinated that starts right around school age because that's when you start detecting it. Right. So those sorts of problems with focus, problems with your mood, anxiety, depression, very right. rare and unvaxxed. And then autoimmune conditions. I'm, I didn't have enough sample size because type 1 diabetes is relatively rare. But there are papers out there linking it to certain vaccines or vaccines in general. It makes sense when you think that about this fact that vaccines can cause your immune system to get confused and attack your own tissue. Certainly the COVID jab is a big concern for that. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of parts of it that will confuse your immune system and cause you to attack yourself. Yeah. What about asthma, childhood yep. asthma? Is that another Absolutely. one? Yeah, is, way right? more asthma. The I'll sometimes when I'm giving my talks, I'll present some slides from the controlgroup.org. If your mm -hmm. viewers are interested in a fascinating study, you can go get those slides. It's free. They found the same thing, but in addition to what I found, they found there was no cancer and no heart disease in the unvaxxed, which that was just shocking. If you think about the number one and two killers in the certainly for adults, it's heart disease and cancer. And right. it just wasn't found in the unvaxxed. Do you think that's attributed to the chemicals that the vaccines are made with that are creating these issues primarily? The chemicals are a piece of the puzzle. I think the bigger thing, and COVID has really opened our eyes to this if you're paying attention, mm -hmm. is that when the immune system compromised or confused, the vaccines for sure shift you towards producing antibodies and away from natural immunity. And in so doing, they're shifting you more towards allergy and autoimmunity. And like the COVID jab is just notorious for this. Right. Cancer rates are skyrocketing. We're all hearing reports of people who are in remission. They got the jab and they were dead in six months. Those, so I think the damage that most vaccines cause to our health is probably more related to the immune system getting shifted into an arm of allergy and autoimmunity, which does not help us. This is right. why... I was a little surprised to find the extent to which my vaccinated patients were sicker from infections. Think about it. We vaccinate to protect you from infections, but the unvaxxed hardly ever get sick. Right. So this speaks to the immune system effect of vaccines. They are 
changing your immune response, that makes you more vulnerable to infections. That makes you more vulnerable to getting cancer. It's our immune system that finds cancerous cells and takes them out. If you don't have an immune system, if you're immunocompromised, you're at much higher risk for cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because during the whole COVID crisis, I noticed that they would never bring up natural immunity. In fact, they actually suppressed that a lot. A lot of times they would never talk about proper nutrition and exercise and it just never be. And then when it was a subject, it just got squashed right away. Yeah. Let's not, there's nothing to look at here with that. It was interesting. You, you very interesting. Up, the way. You bring Go up ahead. a very good point. And this is a point that should give everybody who's listening hope. I think COVID for some families has really caused a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear and a lack of hope. And the important yeah. take home message that you're highlighting right there is that lifestyle changes, things we can do ourselves. We don't need doctors for these. We, a good doctor will give you good direction in this area of which lifestyle changes to take, but you can heal yourself. You can completely change the trajectory of your health and right. recover even from COVID or COVID jab related side effects sure. uh, by proper nutrition exercise, sleep, reducing stress, and there's so much. And that's where we need to put our focus. I think medicine today in this country and in a lot of the world, actually, it's a very broken system. It's all kind of sick care rather than wellness focused. Right. Uh, the sicker the population, the more money the pharmaceutical industry makes. So you could imagine they're not really incentivized to get us well, right? No. They'll lose their income. They're accountable to their shareholders. So if you can put out a vaccine, if you want to even call it that, this COVID jab that has incredible side effects. Talk about making people. You just created a whole new market of uh, immunosuppressed people. If you listen to the ads on TV, they're almost all for immunosuppressants, right? Yeah. Number one moneymaker from pharma is immunosuppressants. And most of these new ones are somewhere between 20 and 100,000 a year. It's crazy amount of money. And there's... There's more new ones coming. At, at, oh, if I ever watch TV, sometimes I'm watching a ball game. I don't watch the news. It's just propaganda. But for a little entertainment, you'll hear an ad. I'll just get on my phone and say, what's the cost of whatever they're advertising? Just for fun. It's shocking. Yeah. Really shocking. If you suppress your immune system, what do you get? More infections and cancer. And right. that's why at the end of all those commercials and this long list of things, including cancer and death, right? The side effects. And what's so shocking is a lot of times the number one symptom is rash, eczema, like I was telling you, it's very common mm -hmm. with immunosuppressed from vaccines. You're going to treat your rash with $100,000 medication. It's bizarre. It is. It is. In your experience as a pediatrician, how did you mitigate the anxiety in parents who insisted on wanting to vaccinate their children? Because even the pharmaceutical companies spend billions of dollars to push this stuff. Like, how do you mitigate that anxiety? Because we know that the influence comes from the pharmaceutical industries, all their advertising dollars. But you as a physician, when you're sitting down with a parent and they're just insisting on wanting to get their kid just inoculated with all these vaccines, how do you mitigate that anxiety? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is one of the big challenges, right? I've got a grandson on the way. My youngest son is pregnant. He and his wife 
And she definitely comes from that school of thought where all the vaccines are important. And it's very difficult because it looks like she's going to be the decision maker. But if she was to come in, take a new couple like that, come into my office, right? I need to start educating, right? Usually where I start is by asking a few questions. Are you open to some information that you may not be familiar with? And see if there's an openness. There are occasionally folks who come in and they don't want my information. That's surprising to me because in my practice, they usually were there because I wrote the book, The Vaccine-Friendly Plan, because right. they've heard I would honor informed consent. So 99% of my patients, is, it's an easy discussion. But for most pediatricians, it's not because their patients are there thinking they're going to follow the CDC schedule. And of course, most pediatricians promote the CDC schedule. So they don't have any conversation. They right. just say, oh, it's time for your vaccines here. Read this information, a little one pager put out by the CDC that minimizes side effects and maximizes benefit. But for me, what I'll do is I'll try to get a dialogue going. And for that, if it's a prenatal visit, which is usually when I can first encounter a new couple, we talk about the vaccines for pregnancy and we talk about the hepatitis B for newborns and just leave it at that. Right. Because... Um, for vaccines for pregnancy, they were never properly studied. And when we do look at some of the studies that were done, some very concerning findings increase in miscarriages and stillbirths and things like that. But the hep B is the easy one. So that's how I open the door. If I'm going to have a parent who's fearful of disease, right? They want vaccines because they're afraid of the disease. I ask them if they understand how you catch hepatitis B. And sometimes they don't know. So you right. point out it's sex and IV drug use. What are the chances your baby's going to do that? We laugh and none. I say, great. I will sleep well tonight knowing that I recommended you consider not giving the hepatitis B to your newborn because of that huge dose of aluminum and the absolute lack of need. You can do it later. Do it when they're in their preteens or early teens before they become sexually active or start shooting up with dirty needles. You've got plenty of time. There's no hurry to take that vaccine at this moment. And then that opens the door. So you just have to start having a conversation and take it disease by disease. Does this vaccine make sense? And is the timing making sense? Is this something we need to do right now? Say, take tetanus. The vaccine's not worthless. There's pros and cons. I think it's all about looking at each vaccine on its own merit. On a case-by-case -case yeah. basis. Case-by-case, disease-by-disease. And, case case, disease disease. and it yeah. shouldn't be one-size-fits-all. By the way, for your listeners, you should know that I'm not practicing medicine in Oregon. They took my license. We didn't get to that part of the conversation. So I talk as if I'm still practicing, but that's just what I used to do. I'm, yeah. I am no longer practicing. I don't diagnose or treat. Yeah, they don't want the good guys practicing medicine or anybody that's going to inform and educate the patient. They don't want that. They want robots, from what I understand now. It's so yeah. interesting. I So the medical board, when I published that study I told you about, the Vax Dunback, within three days after it was available online or five days, I was called by my attorney who was helping me deal with the board. And he says, Paul, they yanked your license. They had an emergency meeting last night and you can no longer practice. So emergency suspension of my license because I was, quote, a threat to public health. Right. Nothing had changed. They'd been investigating me for years. Nothing had changed except I published this data that they asked for. Right. Shocking. They ended up reinstating my license with restrictions when it was pointed out to them that they took it illegally, which they didn't press any charges. They just took it. So they ended up reinstating it, but my attorney could not get any concessions from these stipulations, which tells you what they're concerned about. I was not allowed to see children. I was not allowed to discuss vaccines. 
with patients or my staff, and I was not allowed to do research involving patients. Isn't that interesting? Why would a medical board not want research? That's about as unscientific as you can get, right? Of course. Let's not look. We don't want to look. The thing is, they knew I was sitting on the largest group of unvaccinated kids, certainly in the state, possibly in the country, because I would allow informed consent and everybody else was kicking these kids out of their practices and they were coming to me. We had to close our practice to new patients for several years. We didn't have room. The demand was so high. These boards, I... We encountered the same thing over the 24 years that I owned a medical practice, and they're just so flimsy, a lot of these boards, and they a lot of times they have investigators that have no medical experience at all. They come from a different industry, yep. and they just have an ax to grind with doctors that they just have picked out that are not in accord with the local medical establishment. And uh, it's like the Wild West. And in fact, in Nevada, where I had the practice, they had a change of directors that were physicians that were on boards that would just elect to do it. They weren't elected members, but they would just voluntarily say, oh, yeah, I'll be the board of directors for the board. And they were physicians. They didn't even know they were board of directors for the board. They were just assigned that position because I believe it was a non-paid position. And then... When they want to sanction you with a fine, they just come up with some number, some wild, crazy number. They'll say something like, you owe us $50,000. And then you got to have, then there's the money that you got to put out for the attorneys. And thank goodness that the times that we had encounters with the board, we had a real good attorney at that time. And uh, the fines were minimal. And then they never found anything. So that's how they fund the board. That's how they are able to pay the salaries. And then I noticed a lot of times, too, it depends on who's in office, politically speaking, on a local and a federal level at the time when these boards are in, in taken over by different members. So it's they always have an axe to grind with everybody but the people that are in, part of the establishment in that medical community. So it's a good old boys club is what it ends up becoming at the end yeah. of the day. And uh, unfortunately, they always punish the good doctors is what ends up happening. Yeah. If you're doing something creative that's outside of the box, but you're having really good results for your patients, that's going to challenge the established approach, what they call standard of care. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely But you're right. not even it's, doing anything really out of context. That's you're basically doing the research for these yo-yos and the CDC and all these other people with comparative studies of vax versus unvaxed and medical conditions, chronic and acute medical conditions that occur. And so you're not doing anything unconventional. It's not like you're doing chelation therapy without the board's knowledge right. or anything right. no, that's it's just so cutting edge. Yeah, it's just yeah. information, which is yeah. really what they should be happy that you're doing. Yeah. No, the vaxxed, unvaxxed data is the data they don't want to get out there because oh, it, is no. so, it is so clear once you look at that data, what's going on. There's no question. Right. And so they really want to stop any sort of research that shines a light on vaxxed, unvaxxed. That's because of yeah. the money with the pharmaceutical companies. That's what it is. Yeah. You're challenging them. You're, you're doing the work that they should their be cash doing. Cow. And you're doing the work that they should be doing. Yep. It's funny you mention that because I'll read something here real quick. And this comes from a gal that I'll be interviewing tomorrow. 
She blew the whistle on this. And this comes right straight from the CDC's website. And it says, CDC's website says that under emergency use authorization, FDA requires healthcare professionals to report to their certain adverse events that occur after COVID-19 vaccination. And of course, one would be congestive heart failure or myocarditis. And there's been a number of physicians and nurses and people across the country have lost their jobs and had their licenses pulled because they reported this. And yet the CDC says this is what you're supposed to do under emergency use authorization, which is what the COVID-19 vaccine was distributed under was emergency use authorization. Right. So that's how contradictory they are and how the right hand doesn't even know what the left hand is doing at these agencies. Yep. And the VAERS data is already so powerful. It showing, is. Showing the uh, side effects from the COVID jabs. Uh, and we're probably capturing somewhere around 1% to 10% of what's actually going on. And less than 1% when you think about chronic conditions that people don't even make the connection. Until right. I had done my research, I wasn't thinking about ADD and ADHD and developmental delays and eczema and asthma and infections, that these were related to vaccines. It wasn't even on my radar. So how could I report it? So right. there's zero reporting going on for so many conditions that because people have not made the connection, we haven't seen no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil, right? We just will pretend right. we don't know. And of course, we don't know if we don't look. Yeah. And I think that tells you how powerful these pharmaceutical companies are, because when you look at when you really drill down and you look at what's going on, they're using the media across the board. They're using sports, entertainment. They're using everything and anything in their arsenal to promote these vaccines and especially the covid vaccine that I could see why people jump to it. They're using whatever means that these powerful forces have used to promote that vaccine. I don't begrudge people. I could, I understand why they did it. Things you can't knock the people that do it. You have to try to educate and inform, especially the people that are listening to this right now is educate and inform you as a provider or I guess ex provider, whatever you want to call yourself now, but you're more <laughs> of a teacher now. Yeah. That just educate and inform and let people know, Hey, this is the situation. This is what it's about. Is there any antidote for these vaccines for detoxifying your body from this stuff? You talking about all vaccines or the COVID? Both. Both. Okay. Yes. So let's think about aluminum because that's a part of so many vaccines. And I think it's a big reason there's so much toxicity from the mm -hmm. childhood schedule. It's just way overloaded with aluminum. Silica and if you're drinking it naturally in its water, certain waters have more silica than others. That helps bind aluminum and get it out of the body. The number one thing to do though, if this is a, once you realize this is a concern, is stop putting more aluminum in your body. So don't use aluminum cookware, aluminum foil, don't get any more vaccines, certainly the ones that have aluminum, if you're aware that's an issue, right? And the natural detox pathways, which involve glutathione, N-acetylcysteine, selenium, there's trace minerals that can help with detox pathways. The natural world of health, whether it's a naturopath or a nutritionist who really understands how to medically, nutritionally detox, there are foods you can eat that help you detox. One of the best ways of detoxing is actually fasting. Obviously, you have to be careful if you're pregnant or you are a child, but under supervision, fasting is a great way to detox. 
sweating is a way we get rid of toxins. So whether it's infrared sauna or you're exercising and sweating, uh, these are other ways of detoxing. So yes, there are ways. The spike protein from the COVID jab is one of the hardest, I'm told, to, to get out of the body. And I think fasting for sure is one of the better ways to do that. I have a new program, Kids First for, you can go to kidsfirstthenumber4ever.com. And we do some coaching. I say we, my partner, Didi Hoover, and are putting that program together. And one of the things I'm sure will help people with is nutritional advice on just this very issue of how do you detox if you're finding that you're having health problems post-vaccine. Yeah. I know I saw somewhere where they were talking about pine needles or something like that, or pine needle yeah. tea. Yeah. Is that true? A, Does that work? A, I was just learning about it myself this past week, and some of the data looks promising. I did learn, though, it has to be a specific tree. Don't go get pine needle from any tree. It's I forget which one, some eastern pine needle, I think. Right. But yeah, it that's something you would do definitely under the direction of somebody who understands what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's promising. Me and my wife ordered some of that pine needles. Yeah, and fasting is amazing. It's intermittent fasting is wonderful. Yep. I even do it myself for the most part. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, It's yeah. a great tool. It is. This is, uh, it's been a wonderful time here. The book is called The Vaccine Friendly Plan. You have another book in the works from what I believe, I, from what I understand, correct? Oh, I've got two or three in my head. I okay. haven't got the next one on paper yet. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Yeah. I'm, All right. I've got a couple of books I plan to write in the next year or two. And then your website is Doctors in Science. That's where a lot of your information is found, correct? Yeah, doctorsandscience.com is my show and links to other things I'm doing. And then kidsfirstforever.com is my next venture into getting information out to the public and helping people. Yeah, I'd like to get you back on again and just keep everybody updated on what's going on with your work. Your work is amazing and you're doing an awesome job and everything happens for a reason, Doc. You don't. Yep. Absolutely. No, when I first lost my license, it happened so suddenly, even though I knew because the board was investigating me, someday that might happen. But when it happened, it was out of the blue when I had just published an incredible paper. And, I'm, and it was like, whoa. So that was a big hit. And right. it actually ended up being a blessing because I had been really getting into ego, not aware of it. I'm this big doctor, author, got this right. big YouTube channel, and everybody's coming to me for advice. And I think it was getting to my head. So this was a sure. very humbling experience. Didi Hoover, my partner, was also has been a wellness coach for couple decades and was able to coach me out of that. And that's becoming sort of a foundation of what we do also at Kids First Forever. So anybody out there that's struggling with whatever you might be struggling with, she's an incredible resource. Nice. I'll put some links from the, this episode on to, over to her work too as well. Listen, God's got a purpose and plan for all of us and he's got you where he wants you right now. That's where you need to be. And it's awesome. You're doing an awesome well, job. Awesome. Doctorsandscience.com and kidsforsforever.com. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you so much again for joining me for this episode of the Medical Truth Podcast. Thank you. Thanks, James. All right. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Medical Truth Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast at www.medicaltruthpodcast.com so you don't miss any future episodes and share with family and friends to keep them informed as well. Until next time.